Welcome to the Wonder Woman podcast, where we discuss a variety of subjects all pertaining to optimizing your physique, building strength, developing a strong mindset and tools to help you win at life. I'm Michelle McDonald, and I'm the founder of the Wonder Woman coaching team. We are a community of results-driven coaches and clients who believe that we can age like never before. Welcome to the third episode of the Wonder Woman podcast, and I'm here with an incredible woman for women's health, Professor Anise Mukherjee, and she's visiting us from the UK. So um, I'm just going to give a brief introduction here. Um, Professor Anise Mukherjee, she is a menopause expert. Uh, She has a book out that she wrote during COVID 2021. It's called The Complete Guide to the menopause, how many pages is in that book? Ooh, good question. Uh, 264 right to the end. And it covers the whole gamut of information from uh, what is menopause, perimenopause, signs and symptoms, um, uh, different strategies to deal with to deal with uh, symptoms, um, things that you can do if you can't take HRT. Um, is there anything else you want to mention about that that book? Yeah, well, I think the other thing I do is I put menopause today in context. So I talk about why symptoms may be different today than even 20 or 30 years ago when I started out my career. And in helping women find solutions, I kind of produce sort of a toolkit of different strategies that women can dovetail together and, you know, make those tools work for them because it it is a little bit different for everybody we are all different so it's really about tailoring your solutions to your needs and because it's different for all of us the book helps women decode it all for themselves in in the context of their lives yeah Beautiful. I know, I know on, and on social media. So you're on Instagram as the dot hormone dot, no, the dot hormone dot doc, right? And you talk a lot about uh, how individualized strategies need to be and how to sort through some of the information and, and potential disinformation that we're seeing on social media today. And that's really important as well. You do, you do a lot of, of public speaking, trying to get that information out to the public because it's, it's very challenging, I think, for women right now to understand what's the right thing to do for their health and how to be proactive. So um, I also want to point out that you are... Um, uh, on the British Menopause Society Medical Advisory Council. So you actually are an expert with thir- over 30 years in the field, um, working with women in endocrinology. And so you're on the advisory council um, in the UK. And you also work with the Society for Endocrinology. So, um, I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty serious in terms of your contributions to the conversation um, from an, an academic or a professional Uh, standpoint. Yeah, well, I I think bringing my experience is is important, particularly, as you say today, because so many women are so confused. I think it's really important to try and get factual information out when there is so much confusion. All right, so let's dive in. Let's start off first with um, what is perimenopause versus menopause? So perimenopause is a phase of hormone fluctuation, hormone instability, where the the reproductive hormones that um, come from the ovaries in women start to not be able to be produced properly because the ovaries are tired. They're coming to the end of their reproductive career 
but they don't just stop working. They go through a phase of just not working very efficiently. So I call the perimenopause a hormone roller coaster because hormones can be very high or very low and erratically produced, not like the harmonious production that we see in our reproductive years when we when most women have a regular monthly cycle. And, and perimenopause is very common after the age of 45, but it can happen at a younger or older age. Again, it's very individual and it can last, you know, from, you know, a couple of months to several years. It's very, very different for everyone. But once the periods stop, that's the end of perimenopause and you go into full blown menopause. And I, I heard you saying before that uh, menopause is sort of um, retroactively diagnosed, right? So you don't know when you're going through actual, like when you're actually in menopause until there's been that cessation of a full year, no periods. Yeah, because in perimenopause, because of the fluctuation, periods can be heavier or lighter, more frequent or less frequent. Women can have a number of months of missed periods and then they can go back to being regular or have one or two a year so until you've had 12 consecutive months with no bleeding at all you know you don't know if you're going to have another one you know you might have five months of none and think right I'm through and then you have a bleed and okay you're still perimenopausal so we say we, we yeah we, we diagnose menopause retrospectively so once you've gone through that 12 months no bleeding that's it you're you're classed as post-menopause <laughs> and um I know I see as a as a coach because we we we're always asking our our clients you know what's going on with your cycle and um I work mostly with gals that are are uh, you know 40 plus a lot of women 45 50 years old um which is right in that that age range where we're going to start to see those symptoms so one thing that I'll ask them to do is start to track symptoms um and uh, what can be challenging, of course, we ask gals to track symptoms during their cycle as well. And I think what, what one thing that can be very challenging is um, we know that not a lot of women actually have these beautifully cyclical cycles to begin with. And then, of course, as to your point, um, in the modern age, women in that 40-plus category are often going through major um, um, uh, events in their careers, um, as well as if they've had children. Um, a lot of women, their, their kids are actually still at home and just transitioning over to, to college. So there's all that happening as well. Um, and uh, and then they're, they're in this place of, as you say, hormone instability. So, and we know that um, stress particularly, uh, can do a number on, um, your sleep, um, your appetite, your energy levels, uh, cognitive functioning, um, and the female cycle. So how do we unpack all of that and, and try to understand, are we in perimenopause? Is this just the craziness of my life? Um, do I just track symptoms? Do I need to be alarmed? Do I need to go see an endocrinologist? What do I do? I do find that there's this, and then of course, social media is exploding with all kinds of, as we said, information and misinformation about what women should do that really want to maximize their health. Do you want to speak a little bit about that? Because I think that's an interest for you. Wow, that's a big, big question, really. So yeah, I mean, I'm all about empowering women. And I think social media a lot of social media is about 
clickbait and selling products, you know, selling cures. And so if you are a woman who's struggling in midlife because you've got a lot of stress and then you're wondering if perimenopause is contributing, I think the first thing is that, you know, if you've got a lot of stress and there is a lot going on, that will amplify the symptoms of any medical condition you have, whether it be a thyroid problem, whether it be diabetes, whether it be, you know, weight difficulties, whether it be perimenopause, whatever your, you know, there's many other things that people can get. So whatever that is, stress generally is associated with worse symptoms of other conditions. So whether on whatever age you are managing stress as best you can, and I'm not saying get rid of it because that's impossible. It's about I describe it as, you know, you need to shock absorb. You need to protect yourself from the impact of the stresses of our modern world. And that's important whether or not you're in perimenopause. It's inevitable that at some point in your 40s, most women will be in perimenopause at some point. So rather than be terrified, what you say is really good. Track your cycle and understand your body. Notice you don't have to judge. You don't have to think, wow, I had a hot flush or I had a, 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 you know, a flash or a sweat. It's a catastrophe. I'm going into perimenopause and I'm stressed and this is awful. We don't have to think that. We can just notice and think, right, okay, there's some heat. Yeah, I was a bit awake last night. It was hotter and notice it and then think, right, okay, that's perimenopause coming or it might be the time in your month that's just before your period if you're a younger woman notice it and think right okay this is my opportunity to manage all the things around that in terms of my health you know in terms of stress management nutrition movement exercise actually there's a lot more that we can all do to help with all of that that you've discussed and I've just mentioned than we're led to think or we're led to believe because I think again in today's world, we all want miracle cures. We all want quick fixes. And actually, they never work, but we love the idea. We love the idea of a let's just go on this treatment and it's just going to cure everything. And there is no such thing. I know that with all of my medical experience, the key is to, to take to have agency, to, to understand you have more control over your health and do as much as you can and, and not prejudge not think this is going to be awful because if you think something's going to be awful it's it's probably going to feel awful whether it's awful or not and make more changes to, to improve symptoms and be aware that there's help there's treatments that can help you as well um you had mentioned actually in one of your more recent i think it was a fairly recent interview um that in your, there was a study done, I think it was last year, that looked at a very large cohort of women, I think like 4,000 women that were on HRT, and it came up with the conclusion that just over half um, felt that their symptoms had been, um, you know, addressed or abated through HRT, and just under half did not feel that way. And um, do you want to talk about that? So that you're mentioning HRT, but I think on your side, they call it MHT, menopause hormone therapy. And that's one of, the, well, that is the first line treatment if a woman does start to suffer from menopause symptoms. Now, the problem with the term menopause symptoms is there are some symptoms that are very tightly linked with that menopause transition hormone change. They are the vasomotor symptoms, which is the hot flashes, flushes, night sweats. 
and with with those symptoms often come poor sleep and if you're not sleeping well you feel tired in the day you can have you know more anxiety because you're not sleeping you might be hungrier in the day because you're not sleeping so they're all linked together but the problem with that is when we talk about fatigue anxiety you know weight gain those symptoms actually can be you know, they are actually increasing in prevalence across society, not just in midlife women, but in men and in younger women and in children, fatigue, you know, weight gain, anxiety. These are almost pandemic symptoms across society. And I think the problem in midlife women is that when a woman gets anxious in, in her 40s, everything is put down to menopause when actually, you know, 15 year olds have got severe anxiety more today than ever before. And that links with the way our world is. We've got a, a sort of a world that is favoring stress, chronic stress, you know, 24 seven lifestyles in, you know, social media, the Internet, constant information, stimulation that is at least in part contributing to the increase in rates of anxiety and that also impacts on sleep, that impacts on cognition, brain fog. So the problem with saying, you know, you're a midlife woman, you've got anxiety, brain fog, weight gain, HRT is the cure for menopause, therefore go on HRT. That's fine. If HRT works, brilliant. I have no problem. I want my patients, I want every woman to thrive through that midlife transition to stay in the workplace to you know to continue to function well you know and if the menopause transition is affecting your symptoms men don't have to go through menopause so to keep you know to keep up with you know if hrt helps great but the problem is i think we assume that hrt is going to cure everything and it doesn't and and i think the reason why about half 50 just over 50 percent of women do really well on hrt is because they're probably the ones whose symptoms were really due to the, the changes in estrogen and many of the women who don't respond it's because the symptoms are often multifactorial they're they are from you know major life events that really accumulate in midlife also women who have historic trauma adverse childhood experience what we call multi-morbidities, other health issues that are accumulating, they all may have multiple different contributors to their symptoms. And so it's not surprising that if you just give one treatment that just purely addresses estrogen levels, that it may not help with symptoms. And I think that's causing a lot of confusion at the moment because there are some doctors out there who are saying, if HRT doesn't work, just keep taking higher and higher and higher doses. And this goes to the, you know, unlicensed dosing. And we don't know safety data for some of these, you know, preparations and doses that are being recommended, often on social media, often by doctors who don't actually have credentials to be doing that but they can use propaganda to make it look like it's going to work. And the other thing, and I could talk forever on this, is that when you go on a treatment that has that a doctor, even if they might not be a good doctor, <laughs> they're saying to you, it's going to make you feel amazing. You will get a degree of placebo effect. You'll feel relieved that something is being done. You'll be taking this medication. You'll think, wow, I'm, I'm now being treated. You'll get a placebo effect. And I often see women saying, well, I felt better for a while but then I felt worse again. And that's really a sign that you're probably getting a placebo effect, which is, you know, the sugar pill will give you a benefit if you take it and you believe it's going to work. 
This is great. So we've, we've, you've touched a lot of different things. So um, let's, well, let's dive in. <clears throat> I'm going to actually, I'm actually going to ask you to reference your book because, um, you know, in your book, which is based off of decades of actually working with people and with women and taking them through the initial consultation all the way through to um, helping them adjust their lifestyle, appropriate medication, if that's the right um, avenue, and then having these positive outcomes. Um, in your book, you you take the time to walk women through um, different scenarios, hopefully so that they can maybe find um, uh, kind of a mirror or a similarity they can find their story represented do you is that what you do in the book how 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 would a woman use your book to try to find her story and what she might be able to do about addressing some of the symptoms that she might be having in, in perimenopause well so i go through all of the symptoms and then i have a number of chapters that go through your toolkit the toolkit to kind of add different things that are going to help with your not just your menopause symptoms in your menopause transition, but your long-term health too, because I think we all want to feel better in the menopause transition, but we all want to have long-term health. So one of the things I do in the early chapters is sort of setting the scene on what, what is going on in our lives today as we're going into you know that menopause transition, that midlife, is I talk about something, and I have I have done a post on this on, on my social media, but it was a while ago, but um, I, I talk about something I call the house of menopause. And if you think of menopause, your menopause in your body is, it's a bit like you're a house with, you know, 20 windows in your house. And if you, in winter, it's cold, right? So it's a freezing cold winter, and you've got central heating system and radiators and you've got the central heating on and all the radiators on. You're trying to get that house warm and the warmth is like that well-being that you want, that, that warmth inside your body that makes you feel good. But but what happens is it's like in midlife and perimenopause, gradually all the windows are being blown open because there's stress, there's you know, other health issues. There's lots of things going on in your life. There are things like dependence, you know, coping strategies like alcohol and smoking. And, and then there's poor nutrition because you're just hungry and you haven't got time to focus on food. You haven't got time to exercise. So essentially in midlife, we've got a house with lots of windows open. And one of those windows is very specifically the menopause transition related to estrogen changes. So we can we can treat with hormone therapy and close that window, okay? But if your house has another 15, 20 windows and you leave all those windows open, you're not exercising, you're, you've not got good sleep patterns, you're too stressed, you're not eating well, you've got other medical problems that aren't treated, you're not gonna get that warm well-being health in your house you've just closed one window but all the other windows are open so I I go through each chapter about you know how to close all those windows and for each of us it's different so some women will have terrible aches and pains so they they want to exercise but they don't know how to start aches and pains is a real common symptom in midlife particularly midlife women and if you haven't exercised for 20 years of your adult life because you've been working and then you've had kids and you just haven't had time you're in the car or you're at a desk it's quite difficult to know how to to move upwards to to improve your exercise you know equally if you've got poor sleep patterns or if you've got strategies that can make fatigue worse like you know sleeping in the day or having bad sleep patterns I go through and this is really important 
I don't tell anyone to do a sudden reboot, restart, you know, just fix it all in one, you know, one load of medication and, I don't know, miracle plan for six weeks and then it's all better. That's Why just- not? Because <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. It does not work. It's like, you know, crash diets. You lose a load of weight rapidly with strategies that are not sustainable. You'll just gain it all again very quickly, plus more if if you, you know, if you stop. And no one can, if it's a, if it's a, you know, a really strong stress on your body, like starvation mode dieting, your body will fight it. So it's about small changes sustainable over time and again it, it's it, so I call it micro dosing your lifestyle you know and, and also with with hormone therapy I don't put people on mega doses of hormone therapy straight away because some people are really sensitive to it we start off low we build up we start off low with exercise or changes in your sleep patterns or you know if you're trying to cut down on alcohol or you know managing stress just small moments of stress relief during the day I go through you know, every symptom really and and how you can make small changes in your life to improve those. And the, the most important thing is if you are doing, if you're applying small changes in your lifestyle and improving your lifestyle, not only does it help with your long-term health, but if it doesn't resolve your terrible hot, hot flashes and, and you're still not sleeping, it's gonna, those strategies will still mean that any treatment you have, such as hormone therapy, will work better. Because I see lots of women who say, I'm on hormone therapy, it's not working for me. It works much better if women are struggling, if they're also using that whole holistic toolkit. Absolutely, yeah. And I go through all of that in my book. And there's a picture of my book. There you go. That's what it looks like. I don't know if you see that. We could kind of, yes, there we go beautiful. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's so perfect. I'm glad, I'm so glad that you're, you're on, uh, on the podcast with us because of course at TWW at the Wonder Woman, we, we go in deep with lifestyle, um, in mindset. So, and I'm sure you talk about that in your book too. It's not just, you know, eating chicken and broccoli and um, doing some bicep curls, but there's that whole, um, mindset approach that has to happen. Um, as to your point, we're not trying to avoid stress, but how we're grounding ourselves in the face of very, very busy li- lives. Um, I, I remind my clients constantly, you know, if you're working with me, you're very successful because I'm not inexpensive. And so if you're very expensive, sorry, if you're very uh, successful, you're going to have a lot of demands on your time. So we are not saying that you have to clear your schedule, but number one, how do you organize your schedule in a way that's not just keeping you busy, uh, and feeling stressed that you're not getting important things done. And, and, and what kind of positive coping mechanisms, um, so, you know, alcohol is not a positive coping mechanism. Um, emotionally eating is not a positive coping mechanism. You know, watching Netflix for hours at a time is not a positive coping mechanism. It's not adding to your life. And in fact, a lot of times what it does is defer stress and then it accumulates and hits you. So you do you talk about that as well in, in the book? I 100% talk about all of that. You're so absolutely right. And in fact, I have a chapter called menopause mind in the chapter you know and that goes into that and I also have a a chapter on chronic stress and actually you're so right because the problem with stress chronically if you use poor coping strategies it accumulates and we know scientifically that chronic stress we there's not well there is quite a lot of clinical research coming out but it's not in clinical practice 
We know it's something called allostatic load, which is a stress load on your body. And over years and decades, that can even cause, you know, cardiovascular disease, bone loss, dementia long term, chronic stress. But you're so right that that you can, you know, the the people think I've just got to keep going. I can't think about moving meetings around. I haven't got the headspace to do that. I can't do it. And so but what happens is you become less productive if you don't manage your stress. So if you manage your stress and you're you feel better, you, you can do so much more. And I know a lot of the big organizations like, you know, the multinationals, Google, Microsoft, they have well-being programs for their staff, not because they're nice, but because they've got the data that shows that if you improve well-being, if you improve the health of your workforce, productivity improves, sickness absence reduces. Well, that's good for all of us, isn't it? None of us want to, to be sick or absent from work. None of us, you know, want to be unproductive. So I think in midlife, women tend to just take on more and more and more, and they just think, I can't stop. Whereas, as you say, if you just manage, move things around, sometimes just small changes to how your, you know, your, your workload is or all your commitments are, can actually make a, just a huge difference to, to your health and your symptoms. And that's far beyond, and I want to underscore this, it's far beyond a positive mindset. Because one thing that I do see sometimes in the comment sections when we post about, you know, managing your lifestyle and stress and trying to have a positive experience uh, with perimenopause, there's some backlash in the comments. And, um, and there seems to be this confusion that um, managing your stress and having a, a, a higher quality lifestyle that's very pro-health, that that's you know, a positive mindset and, and it's, it's, these are actually, they're small micro decisions, but they're hard decisions that you have to stand by and repeat repeatedly. The thing with the body, um, at least from my experience as a, as a, as a physique coach is that you can have massive changes if you're consistent. If you do small things every day and you're consistent over a long period of time it accrues to massive change. Um, and people think it's, you've done some kind of quick fix thing, but it's like, no, I just have these daily habits that I do every single day. And that's why you get these crazy outcomes that seem to be, um, you know, one in a million, like my mother, Joan, I think is the, probably the most obvious, you know, there she was hysterectomy. Um, they left her with one little ovary. There was no, um, uh, HRT given to her at all. It was like, all right, you know, your uterus is gone, off you go. Um, she had it done, you know, when she was in her, in her mid forties and, um, and then she was, you know, obese for decades by the time she, you know, I finally convinced her, can you, can you join, <laughs> can you join my program? Cause I was so worried about, her. I could really see, you know, the, the skin coloring and the, the breath heaving and just the edema was, a, you know, her ankles were just enormous. All of those things, you kind of know, all right, the end is near, um, now that you're on uh, hypertension medication and all that. And so here she was in a, you know, like not a great hormonal place. I'm sure if we'd looked at her hormones, like thyroid panel and all of that stuff, we would have seen some pretty alarming things as well as all like, I'm sure her, you know, we, I can speculate like her C-reactive uh, test would have been through the roof and all of these kinds of things or her blood lipids would have been off. And now she's in such a great place just by doing these small micro changes to her lifestyle. Um, and she's by no means perfect. You don't have to be perfect, but you, you do want to be consistent with some of the basics and you see the outcome like, well, gosh, if sarcopenia is, uh, uh, 
guaranteed part of aging. Uh, and mom doesn't do any HRT. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but she, she hasn't. Um, people speculate that she has, but she hasn't. So here she is obviously accruing some muscle um, in her mid-70s. So is sarcopenia a reality? And I know there's an interesting study saying that, well, actually, maybe sarcopenia is a lot more to do with lifestyle than um, your chronological age. Do you want to speak about that a little bit? You've said it all. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible what your mum's achieved, but it, it's, it doesn't surprise me in terms of what she's done. She's, you, we could, every woman could do it potentially, obviously you've, if they come see you, you know, but it's about, it's, it's, I, I know every woman can't come see you, but it's about consistency and you don't have to be pumped full of any sort of medication to achieve muscle strengthening over time. And I heard somebody say recently, well, if you're older and we all get osteoporosis and muscle weakness and everything as we get older, then you shouldn't train because if you're carrying heavy weights, you might break a bone or something like that. And I thought that's just such the wrong message. Of course, if you try and carry, you know, 40 kilograms overnight without training properly and building up, then that's going to be dangerous for anyone, whether they're 20 or 40 or 60 or 80. But but if you build up gradually, your bones want that. If you if you carry heavier weights, your bones will just respond and say, right, I'll get stronger to manage this. Your muscles will say, I'll get stronger to manage this. You produce lots of estrogenic hormones and lots of, of testosterone from your adrenal glands. Women produce hormones from their adrenal glands and the postmenopausal ovaries, although you said your mom only has one, but the postmenopausal ovary can produce a little, but your adrenals produce hormones. And it's absolutely true that that older people, men and women, can build muscle, they can build bone with the right lifestyles. The problem is our lifestyles are suffocating us. We have an obesity epidemic, we and we have a diabetes epidemic. And, you know, I don't blame any single person for that. That is our societies, that is our governments with the food industry and the way we perceive food, but also our life. We have sedentary lives. It's very complex why we've got these chronic diseases, but multimorbidity, which is the high blood pressure, the high lipids, the you know, diabetes, the, the, the weight problems, which result in cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, et cetera. They're all linked together. A lot of that is to do with our modern societies. And it goes again to why menopause is different in today's world than 40 years ago. You know, 40 years ago, if you look at the average, you know, weight of, of adults, obesity was relatively rare. Whereas now obesity, I mean, 75% of the UK population are overweight or obese. I think it's higher in the US and wow. it's, it's, it's not an individual's fault. It's the way the world is. But you can, any single person can change the narrative. They have to understand how to do that. You can't carry on being sedentary and just, you know, eating ultra processed food in order to change. But you have to then understand how to do that. How, how do you make changes? The problem is on social media, it makes it worse a lot of the time because quick fixes are promised. And as you say, it's not about any quick fix. In fact, quick fixes result in quick failures afterwards. Quick fix, quick failure. Long-term sustainable solution is a long-term sustainable solution, which is what your mum 
demonstrates. You get off your blood pressure medication, your swelling goes away, your muscles dominate, your bones get stronger. It's it's she's it's real. It's reality. And a lot of the things that are promised on social media with quick fixes are absolutely fake news. As you know, a lot of it is are scams. They're scams. And there's a lot of propaganda, manipulation of research saying if you want to get strong in your older age, you have to be pumped full of hormones. And, you know, as an endocrinologist, if hormones are needed, I'm more than happy to prescribe them. That's yeah. my job. Yeah. But they are not needed for long term health for every single woman or man. You know, men, there's a lot of testosterone replacement therapy in men that's being used that isn't needed and it's it, it's the, a factor of our world our world is 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 poisoning us really so it's a i think women have so much more agency than they that they realize because they're fed fake narratives all the time on and quick fixes all right, so th let's dive into this because um, it's also one of the reasons that attracted me to, to have you on the show. Um, uh, again, because of who I, my the age group that I deal with, I've suddenly started to see, it really in the last, I mean, I've been coaching um, since 2012, but it's really in the last maybe two years that I'm starting to, uh, I don't know if it's the algorithm, but I'm just seeing a lot of uh, in information coming at me um, about uh, HRT. And then of course, uh, in, in with my clients, I'm starting to see some very interesting protocols at play. Um, I've got some gals going on, off, on, off, on, off. Uh, and I'm trying to, as a coach, you know, because it affects you know, what happens with their weight and, um, their sleep and all of these things. And I'm always interested. I want my, like you, I'm, I'm all about empowerment, education. I want my clients to, to, um, have optimal, uh, outcomes, whatever that, whatever that means. And, um, but I'm, I'm seeing very confusing, very mixed messages, very confusing protocols. I'm seeing gals on like oral estrogen layered with, um, um, and with, with that has progestin in it. And then they're getting progesterone on top of that. And I'm curious, like, does your, is your doctor a specialist in this stuff? Because <laughs> it doesn't sound like it to me. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but um, I do think um, that uh, hormones requires a very high skill level. Um, and so I just, you know, and, and I'm seeing gals that aren't having these positive outcomes. Like I said, there, if, if, if it was the case that um, my clients that were dabbling in HRT had these amazing outcomes, you know, like they're eating a lot of food, the body fat is falling off them, their strength is going through the roof. I would be very interested in this, very interested. And I'm just not seeing that. I'm not seeing any change. Um, sometimes I'm seeing negative changes, right? Like the waist going up. You're not gaining muscle at the waist. So, uh, you know, the waist is going up. The weight is going up. Um, they're not reporting these great um, outcomes where they're full of pep and energy. Um, so I, I'm going to invite you to talk a little bit about that. And also what would a licensed dosage be? Because I also think that's important for gals to, to be aware of with what's getting thrown around now on the internet. So I think it's important to understand that when we're giving hormone therapy, menopause hormone therapy, we're not giving hormones back to make us exactly like we are when in our reproductive years. Because actually the way our bodies produce estrogen and then progestogen or progesterone through the monthly cycle 
it's very harmonious, but actually the hormone levels are different every single day of your cycle. The estrogen rises and falls through and it's peaks at the mid cycle when we ovulate, when we release the egg. And then that falls down and then the progesterone is produced by the corpus luteum, which is kind of once the egg's been released um, from the ovary, the progesterone and then a bit of testosterone are produced just at the end of the month. And that progesterone allows the womb lining to clear. And that's what results in the bleed. The estrogen falls and then it starts all over again. So that's quite a specific, uh, you know, but different hormone levels every single day. When we give hormone menopause, hormone therapy, we give it in a different regimen in perimenopause to the regimen we use in postmenopause. We're not giving it back in either of those regimens to be the same as when we're younger. We're just giving it back to top the woman's estrogen up in order to reduce the symptoms that are directly caused by menopause, such as, you know, the, the flashes, the sweats, the sleep problems, the anxiety, the palpitations. That's what we're trying to address. And sometimes aches and pains, you know, a lot of women say that as their estrogen is dropping, their aches and pains can be, be worse. If you have a womb, you have to have progesterone because if we give estrogen on its own, it thickens the womb lining. So if we know from when HRT was first licensed back in 1965, that they gave estrogen alone and then women started getting womb cancer and they had to have surgery for womb cancer and it was all very traumatic. So now we know as long as you have progesterone or a progestogen, that stops the womb cancer. So in perimenopause, we give estrogen all the time and progesterone at, towards the end of the month, usually for about 12 days in order to induce the bleed. So it's already probably sounding confusing to, to women. And then if you're postmenopausal, you just have a little bit of progesterone and a little bit of estrogen all the way through the month to keep the levels stable, but maybe higher than they would be without the HRT, just to manage symptoms. And the primary indication for hormone replacement therapy or menopause hormone therapy is to treat the menopause symptoms. But as I mentioned to you in perimenopause, it's a, like a hormone roller coaster. The ovaries can be doing nothing and producing no estrogen, and then it can be peaking and producing loads. Some months progesterone won't be produced, so there won't be a bleed. And then other months progesterone is produced and then there's heavy bleeding. It, it's all over the place. So if we give a steady amount of estrogen and then adding in the progesterone in, in perimenopause, but a woman's own ovaries are also producing hormones, you end up with side effects. You can end up with sore breasts, fluid retention, even weight gain. It's, it's not a precise science. And actually, hormone therapy does not suit everybody. And I can tell you that from younger women who have, you know, menstrual cycle problems, premenstrual disorders, many younger women suffer with their hormones. That's their natural hormones. And, you know, so... Then when you're in perimenopause and you, you, you've probably got a hormone roller coaster going on, then we give you the hormone therapy. As you say, if that works perfectly, that's brilliant. I, I'm really always very happy when I see a woman say, yeah, I feel much better. But I think it's literally almost 50-50. Some women say it makes them feel better. And some women just say, oh, you know, I couldn't bear it. My I, my breasts were double the size. And then I gained 10 pounds in weight just within a few weeks. I mean, most women don't want weight gain. Let's face it. it's That's the worst. And if you look at the studies, the studies say, well, estrogen shouldn't cause weight gain if it's given correctly. But in perimenopause, your own body's producing it sometimes so you can overshoot and it's 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 not Definitely. a precise 
Yes, great point, right? I think that's something we forget because um, I think, uh, well, I know I was indoctrinated into this idea that this there's this perfect 28-day cycle, and this is exactly how, you know, estrogen rises, and then you, you as you, you know, you ovulate, and then there's that rise of progesterone, and a, and then a, a slightly less rise of, of estrogen, and it happens every month, and it's very cyclical, and then, of course, now there's interesting research saying that, well, a woman's cycle... Uh, from cycle to an individual woman's cycle from cycle to cycle isn't a, rep, rep, a replica and forget about m- trying to match uh, various women across the board so if you want to layer on on top and we know that women experience uh, even their 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 own period uh, differently from cycle to cycle and from woman to woman like one woman might oh, I don't really notice anything. You know, I don't gain weight, nothing. And then another gal, I have had clients that will gain literally, and they, it's not from food, it's just water retention. They'll gain eight pounds. Like I have a, I had a 160-pound gal that would gain eight pounds for two to three days, and then would all come off, and we would never react to it. It was just like, okay, that's your cycle. Um, and then other gals, there'd be no change at all, right? So just knowing that this happens with a regular functioning cycle and that um, it's been studied and we now know that the 28-day perfect cycle with the ebb and flows is not what actually happens with women. When we layer hormones on, exogenous hormones on top of that, well, of course, uh, you know, there's going to be these, some, some, some months you're going to hit the mark and other months you're probably not going to hit the mark. Yeah. And, and there is no such thing as an average woman, you know, and, and I would, that's why I always say it's different for everyone. Now, then you asked me about doses and it's, it's tricky because there's different preparations in different countries, but um, at the moment there's many women are talking about, and this is all so very much to do with social media. Everybody wants body identical licensed hormones because they're identical to what our own body produces. Um, and actually, the, the, the non-body identical, some of the non-body identical hormones that are kind of more um, what we call later generation hormones, progestogens, and well, body identical estrogen is generally definitely better. But some of the progestogens, so diprogesterone is one particularly that it's just, it's very similar in side effects and risks to natural progesterone, but probably a bit more efficient at clearing the womb lining out. Because natural progesterone in body identical HRT, we call it eutrogestan, it can be, there's different names, um, Prometrium, I think in America they call it, but um, d- different names for, for the different companies and countries. But um, you know, it's very gentle on the womb. So a lot of women, one of the commonest side effects that I see in perimenopause is just bleeding all over the place. You're giving it correctly. As we say, we give it, you know, for the last two weeks of the month and we're giving estrogen all the time. But then the bleeding is all over the place it could be heavy, unpredictable, unscheduled. You can have no bleeding for a while and then lots of bleeding. And that is a problem. That's more of a problem when the doctors are not getting the dosing right as well. And you talked about licensed. So I very rarely ever need in my patients to use a regimen that is unlicensed. But I'm seeing on social media women saying my doctor's giving me five times above the dose of estrogen that's licensed. And that is a big red flag, because, again, if you don't respond to symptoms with licensed doses, they're the doses that we know in research studies 
help with menopause symptoms, you're probably trying to treat a symptom that is nothing to do with menopause. It's probably something else going on in your life. So that is in the UK, there's a term hiding to nothing. It's not going to take a woman anywhere. It's just going to give her more side effects. And, and when we talk about the what is a licensed dose, it says on every single information leaflet what licensed doses are. So it would depend on what you're on. And I couldn't really I did do a post on it on social media, which people can look at. Um, but with patches and gels and tablets, it's different. Um, and with the different progestogens, it's different. So so read the fine print. Yeah. Of whatever brand that you're using. Okay. And so let, let me recap that. So um, HRT can be really beneficial to treat acute symptoms. Um, you should be on the licensed, or you shouldn't go beyond the licensed dosage, or it should be rare that you would need to go beyond the licensed dosage. Let me, let's, let's put it that way. Because I've heard you say that sometimes you do go a little bit above, but it's more rare, right? And um, if, if your symptoms aren't resolved in, like, say, three to six months, then you should be potentially looking at other causes of your your symptoms. Do you want to add to that at all? You need to be looking for other causes of your symptoms. And, you know, so one thing would be to talk to your doctor, say, do I need any other blood works to look at my thyroid, for example, to look at other medical problems, check I'm not diabetic, you know, check the blood pressure because, you know, I've seen women with severe headaches put down to menopause. I check their blood pressure. Nobody's checked their blood pressure. It's through the roof, you know, or, you know, women who come to me and they say they've gained weight, it's perimenopause and I find they're diabetic. Um, thyroid problems are really common in women between the ages of 40 and 60. It's a really quite a high rate of thyroid issues. So if that's missed, it doesn't matter how much HRT you get, you're not treating the, the underlying cause, but also, if you're on a licensed dose of HRT or, or menopause hormone therapy and you're not feeling better and you think, well, I don't feel ill, I just I can't sleep and I'm tired. Remember the lifestyle. Remember the sleep patterns, the stress management, the, the nutrition, the exercise, the movement. I mean, exercise, if you're feeling awful, it is difficult to start on an exercise journey. But any small, as, as you talked about, small changes, going for, you know, walk around the room, walk, walk around your garden or walk, walk around your block just outside once a day, you know, small amounts beyond what you're doing already to build up. So it's about looking, thinking, is there something else? Do I need to speak to my doctor? And, you know, am I doing everything I can to improve my health and well-being? Because oftentimes we're not. We're not really managing. I talk about self-care in women. Women will be looking after everyone else and not really thinking about themselves. Um, okay. So would you, would you say that... Um, would you, would you want to encourage all women to really look at their lifestyle then, at, you know, versus just taking a medication? Is that, because I, I feel that's what I'm getting from you. Like as a doctor, you're like, you need to take care of the lifestyle. <laughs> as I said, our lifestyles, we've undergone a paradigm shift in our lifestyles over the last, a fundamental change in our lifestyles over the last 30 to 40 years. And, you know, we're moving less, 
we're eating more ultra processed foods. All of us are because it's just there, available, easy. We're sitting, you know, we're sitting at desks. We're on social media, which make is, is stressful. In midlife, there are more stresses today for men and women because we're, you know, we're having kids later. We're looking after elderly relatives who are living longer. We're, you know, there's we're interconnected with everything stressful content on social media is a big deal work demands are higher across the board for everyone of course men are in that situation but they're not personally going through a menopause transition the menopause transition might not be the big problem it might be all the other things and of course but treating the menopause transition might well help with hormone therapy but it won't help in isolation so over the last so many adults today who i see in midlife have accumulated poor lifestyle approaches poor choices over 20 years you get away with it when you're younger but as you get older whether you're a man or a woman you you you're you won't get away with it forever it it catches up people say to me but I've smoked all my life why should I stop now I've drank heavily all my life why should I stop now I've eaten you know processed foods all my life why should I stop now because it catches up with you and and it's a no-brainer really the amount of of I think it's more it's worse in in the UK than the US, but people drink too much alcohol. I mean, a lot. I know there's also a big rise in recreational drugs, illicit drug taking um, as coping strategies and smoking cigarettes. So all of those things, they don't cause you to die or be ill overnight. In fact, sometimes, as you you know, they can make you feel better on in the moment but it's the legacy it's the long-term effects that really are harmful so lifestyle is is not negotiable as far as i'm concerned if you're not well and there are lifestyle factors that are not optimized you need to be aware of that and insightful that that's probably contributing to both your well-being and your health when it comes to hormone therapy it's really important if you are struggling with menopause symptoms to to be able to access it as needed. And if it helps, then it can be taken for as long as it's needed for symptom management. If it doesn't help, escalating the dose beyond safe limits is not going to help. You need to look at other causes as as we've talked about. But I'm also seeing a lot on social media about women's having this sort of fear of menopause and saying, oh, well, if I take hormone therapy, I'm gonna cure menopause and it will never happen to me. And I'm afraid that is just, it's fake news. It's totally, you know, and women believe it because it's off, it's being promoted by a a lot of brands with lots of, you know, social media optimization, high numbers of followers. They think, well, if if that person's got 500,000 followers or a million followers, it must be true. And Unfortunately, most of the people who are doing that have conflicts of interest. They're making money out of, you know, shouting about a cause that is really not helping women, actually. It's helping perhaps their own, you know, pockets, (laughs) their own bank accounts. HRT, hormone replacement therapy, is not proven or even, you know, it's there's not even a, a, a jot of decent evidence to suggest that it prevents aging or prevents disease. It does not. With bone health, I use hormone therapy in women who have got osteoporosis, established osteoporosis at a young age, or um, premature ovarian insufficiency when they've gone through a very early menopause, such as women who have 
you know, chemotherapy for cancers in their 20s and they have an early menopause. We can use it in younger women mainly because it can help with bones while you're on it. Once you stop hormone therapy, your bones will get thin again, particularly if you're not exercising, you're not doing weight bearing exercise, you're not, you haven't got a balanced diet, you're smoking, you're drinking alcohol, your bones will get worse again. But we use it because we can use that for a period of time and young, and we can use it very safely in younger women. As women get into their 60s and 70s, long-term hormone therapy has got risks. So we don't recommend it to prevent osteoporosis because we might be using it to prevent prevent somebody who isn't even at risk of osteoporosis, and then they might get a breast cancer or some other event that's that's actually linked, or they might not be feeling well on the hormone therapy. It's nuanced. There's lots of reasons. If I felt hormone therapy would make all my patients live forever and it was going to make them all better, I would I would tell everyone to go on it. Because yeah. you're an endocrinologist, that's your specialty. Yeah, I mean, I love I love prescribing hormones. It's my it's my you know I love it, but I, I see the real world. I see real life real life people and I see them over time I see them when they start their journey I see them in the middle of the journey I see them at the end when they're going I'm a bit fed up with hormones now after 10 years because I'm getting all these side effects you know and so we don't recommend hormone therapy to prevent disease because there is not a jot of evidence that it's safe to do that in all patients but if somebody has symptoms and an expert is saying at the moment you need to continue treatment longer term that that can happen I'm not saying I never have patients who are older who are on hormone therapy but it's not for everybody and some women are going on hrt for the wrong reasons they're not going on it because of symptoms they're going on it because they want to be part of the movement and they think it's going to prevent aging and it it doesn't prevent aging there lots of social media feeds will tell you that it prevents aging that it prevents heart disease that it prevents dementia none of that is recommended as true by any impartial international menopause society and that's not because the international experts are out of date it's because they are not conflicted and they actually know more than the influencers on social media who have gone into menopause in the last couple of years yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And I want to underline again that you are on the advisory council for the British Menopause Society. You've been a practicing a doctor for decades. You are very invested uh, both in being an expert in endocrinology and treating real people. Um, and um, and uh, as you said earlier in our discussion, you know how to uh, read the research, and that's really important because it's, you know, it's, I mean, I, I see this with just diets, right? I mean, I'll, I'll explain things to my clients. The paleo people have their experts and their anecdotes. The vegan people have their experts and their anecdotes. The intermittent fasting people, they have their experts and their anecdotes. And if you believe, you know, any of them, they'll tell you that, well, that diet's going to kill you and that diet's going to kill you. And they're all at odds, right? So just taking a step back, we know, well, that's interesting. They've all got doctors and they've all got PhDs quoting research and saying their diet's the right diet and that diet's going to kill you, right? So knowing that 
shouldn't we be a little bit skeptical about our ability to understand the research and look to, as you said, in the impartial experts that really do want to disseminate this information and understand what's true, what's not true, what still needs to be researched more before we can go and say certain things. Um, can you speak a little bit about that? Because I, I, again, I, I love to in, empower and inform women and I implore my clients, you know, think critically. Uh, um, so I'd love to have you talk about that. Yeah, so the impartial expert governing bodies, what they do is they will critically appraise all the research in a particular topic. And they will look at the quality of the data because you can have a study that says HRT prevents dementia. And it might be a study of what, 200 people. And it's an observational study of people who were really healthy and it looked at them for a few years. Or it it might be looking at a subgroup. So maybe a group of people who've got insurance health insurance so to get health insurance you've got you've got to get through medicals that exclude lots of other health issues so these are highly selected groups so that the quality of that research is not strong the the strongest quality research comes from what we call randomized control trials where we take selection bias so you know a group of people who are selected, but they're super healthy anyway. So whatever happens, they're going to do well um, versus people, all comers who might have multi-morbidities or other health issues. So, you know, if you exclude, for example, smokers and people who drink alcohol from research, you're going to find wonderful results because smoking and alcohol are bad. In fact, I posted something on my Instagram story um, today about that exact thing, because um, it was a study that showed late night, night owls who stay up late die younger and then they the small print says but actually when we took away because people who are night owls smoke too much and drink too much when you take out the smoking and drinking there's no effect if you're a night owl and you don't smoke heavily and and drink heavily it you don't die younger so it's association versus causation so there's different types of research study randomized control trials take away biases they take away placebo effect because actually If you are told, like being brainwashed, this is going to be amazing by some brand and you start a treatment, you'll probably feel better for a while from a placebo effect. And when it wears off, you think you need a higher dose or they tell you, well, you need a higher dose or you need something like this. You need something changed. But actually, there's a lot of placebo effect in, you know, the social media driven algorithms of of medication because they're so convincing. So social even if it's somebody who's got a phd if their main job is social media making money from a brand you've got to be a bit skeptical and you know as you say critical thinking is very important in today's world for for health because you have to be discerning about what you believe so the impartial international organizing bodies will have a range of experts often who will have different views they look at all the research and they come out with recommendations based on all of the research. So the United States Preventative Medicine uh, Task Force recently reviewed all the data on menopause hormone therapy, and they kept the current guidance, which is that menopause hormone therapy should be used for menopause symptoms. And if it helps menopause symptoms, then it can be used as long as it's needed. And it may be used in some women, younger women with established osteoporosis, et cetera. But, you know, it's got that's got to be an individual situation. It's not for everybody. When we're talking about preventative medicine, we're talking about something we give to everybody. And 
they do not recommend menopause hormone therapy for disease prevention, not even estrogen only when women who've had a hysterectomy, you know, don't need progesterone because it's the, the combined hormones tend to have higher risks than the estrogen alone. But they didn't find good quality data to suggest that anything is prevented, actually, in, in all comers. So you look at that and then you look on social media and certainly in the UK, there's all these social media comments saying this study showed that um, HRT prevents dementia, heart disease and diabetes. I'm thinking, what what are they talking about? And I look at what they use. They use, they, they, ter- they take some research. It's like a refurbished, you know, they take some research, they turn it on its head, they select little bits out of that research and they use that and it's like propaganda. It's not high quality research and so and of course then you have to why are they doing it I I don't know are they doing it because they're selling books I mean I know I've written a book but I certainly didn't write a book to try and sell products you know I I wrote it because I was approached by a a publishing company who said we want somebody who's got 30 years of experience to write a book about this but you know I don't know why and maybe it's because they believe it maybe it's because there are doctors who've got credentials who are misleading people why that is I don't know but it's everywhere and there are conflicts there are often hidden conflicts on social media and I think that's that's what people have to be aware of and what I say is if it looks too good to be true it probably is if you think you can take a pill that's going to prevent anything ever happening to you and and not age that's not real no matter who is telling you no matter how many followers they have on Instagram or TikTok it's 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 just not real Beautiful. So, so HRT, two thumbs up for you for treating uh, acute symptoms of of perimenopause. So that would be like your hot flushes, uh, night sweats, um, poor sleep. Um, what what other what other symptoms would HRT be? be? It's in, if you're in midlife, you you've got a job, you've got young kids, you've got elderly parents to care for you're you're stressed you're not sleeping you're tired you've got hot flashes if you take HRT and it resolves those symptoms absolutely brilliant and most women symptoms settle over time whether you take HRT or not so so you know if a woman takes HRT in five or seven or 10 years, those symptoms are likely to settle down. And often over that time, the dose of HRT can change. You can head downwards later if the symptoms are less severe. So things do change over time. But but if a woman is being helped by hormone therapy and it's helping her live her life, it's helping her keep her job, it's helping her do all the roles that she's having to do, she should be able to take that for as long as is necessary. And I'm you know, I want every, if that helps a woman significantly, I want her to be able to access that treatment for as long as she needs it. The problem at the moment is that everyone's going on it, not feeling better, saying I need more, or my GP doesn't know what they're doing because the dose is wrong. And I'm thinking, well, the licensed dosing is pretty clear. So doctors do know what doses. It's not about the, it's not always about the dose being wrong. In fact, it's mostly not. You know, if it doesn't work, women are, think that their doctor's wrong or there's something wrong with the menopause or the HRT. Actually, it's about then thinking, is there something else going on? Ask the doctor, have I got something else? Is it blood pressure? Is it thyroid? Is it diabetes? You know, is it stress because of, you know, you know mental health issues are also prevalent across society. So if you take HRT and you, you've got severe anxiety, panic attacks, low mood, and HRT doesn't resolve it, 
then you may need different treatment for that side of things. It's about looking at yourself and with a doctor holistically. And it's about finding what works. I think you asked me a question at the very beginning and you said, I can't remember what you said. You said, should women take HRT or, you know, what, what is the, the, the solution? The solution is different for everyone. Is there always a treatment? There's always a solution. If you're stuck in midlife because you've got symptoms, there is always a solution. It's finding what that solution is. If it's menopause hormone therapy, that's fantastic. If it's if your solution is to, you know, to go on the Wonder Woman official and get your body in perfect shape, brilliant. That I mean, to be honest, I'd recommend everyone to do that because it's the exercise and, and, and the nutrition sustained for the long haul is going to help with with longevity significantly right but stress management managing mood managing over commitment they're all very very important and you can't just take hrt in, iso- in isolation and forget all of those things because hrt in isolation if you're sitting on the sofa smoking drinking alcohol eating junk for the rest of your life you're not going to have healthy longevity, even if you're taking resveratrol or whatever it is, medication that and, and HRT. It's you have to do the whole, the whole life. Yeah, you might you might be able to you might be able to ameliorate like your hot flashes, but you're certainly not going to optimize longevity. And then and then there might also be other risk factors. Um, I know we're we've been talking for a while. I could I could talk to you for hours and hours. Um, I want to I want to touch on a couple of other quick questions. So one is. Do you have any recommendations for gals that um, are nervous to try HRT, but they do have um, symptoms like the hot flashes uh, or sleep? Um, Do you have any suggestions, like should they start on smaller doses um, or uh, recommendations on should they work with the GP or should they work with an endocrinologist, anything like that? So the first thing to say is if the symptoms are starting to be noticeable, and you said something at the very beginning, which was really good, track your cycles, track your symptoms, notice non-judgmentally, just notice what's going on. And if you notice that the symptoms, so you may be having more hot flashes, more disturbed sleep, the lifestyle approaches can make a big difference. And I talk about that in my book, you know, sleep hygiene, we call it, you know, managing your sleep patterns, um, your movement, your there's things you can do to help with fatigue, um, nutrition, those things can actually, and, and not smoking, ideally, and not drinking alcohol as a coping strategy, they all make those symptoms worse. So if you lessen those, you, you can actually delay or even negate the need for medication. If you are getting moderately severe symptoms, if they're coming on really thick and fast, I call it like a crescendo, and it's really impacting on your quality of life. There really is no harm in the menopause transition, which is for most women somewhere between 45 and 55. There is no harm in trying a small dose of menopause hormone therapy in a licensed dose that we have available. We have a lot of data to show that really over over a number of years, really after the age of 51, at least five years before you're really looking at any additional risks. And even then those risks are very low in younger women under the age of 60. So if it if you try it for three months and it helps a lot, then you know you have to then balance, you know, do, I don't want to, I'm worried about risks, but actually the risks are low and I'm feeling so much better. Great, you know, fantastic. But if you take it, you're worried about taking it, you take it, you're no better, you know, and, and you're on a, a, a reasonable dose from your doctor, 
then you really need to look at what the symptom is that's that's your problem because everybody's symptoms are different and whether there's things that you can do for yourself. So, you know, we haven't talked about vaginal symptoms, which is, I didn't mention that at the beginning, but it's common and much later in the postmenopause. but women can have vaginal symptoms. So dryness, soreness, pain, and there are, you, you can take vaginal estrogen, almost everyone, including older women, if they get a urinary tract infection, or if they get really severe symptoms down there, you can take vaginal estrogen very safely it doesn't have at all any risks that have been associated with long-term systemic hrt the the usual form so vaginal estrogen is very safe there are vaginal moisturizers and and lubricants that can be really helpful so that you know if, if it's vaginal symptoms you can use local treatments that are very safe if it's the menopause vasomotor symptoms the flashes and the night sweats um, there's a brand new treatment that's now available on your side of the pond in the US called Fezolinotant, which is a, a brand new first in class treatment that actually directly targets the menopause hot flash mechanism in the brain. And that's amazing. That works quicker than hormone therapy. So that's well worth considering. Um, and that is second line to HRT. So if you can't take hormone therapy or if you've tried and it hasn't helped, that's very good. There are other treatments that can help with things like sleep and mood and the hot flashes as well to some extent. They're generally very low dose antidepressants, which they're not strong because they're a low dose. They're not in the antidepressant dose, but they help with mood, sleep and flashes very well. Um, but it depends. And, you know, some of those can have side effects. The fezolinotant, which is directly targeting the hot flash mechanism, is very low in side effects, actually. It doesn't seem to really cause any problems. So that's really amazing. The other thing is that, that we we also know that cognitive behavioral therapy, which is not a medication, it's actually a, a, a psychological mindfulness based therapy, can really help with menopause symptoms across the board with sleep, anxiety, mood, flashes. So that is a non-medication treatment that's got good research evidence to show that it helps with menopause symptoms. So somebody who doesn't want to take medication could consider that. All of, you know, any of those need to be supported, including HRT, by lifestyle approaches as much as you can implement those. There are natural remedies that lots of people like to try sage, evening primrose, those are not really and, and things like acupuncture and reflexology they're not supported by strong research evidence but they are probably going to be working for women through stress relieving effects which i always think are good anything that helps with stress relief yeah. beautiful so so um in terms of actual hrt do you want to speak about um Again, like I've I've had clients that are that are going through um, perimenopause and they're still on birth control, um, oral birth control. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, trying to unpack that? Like, should you is your is is your birth control HRT? Should you keep taking it? Are there any thing risk factors you need to know about oral estrogen and um, uh, in long term use? Yeah, so that that's a good question. So. We really recommend women to have birth control of some description up to the age of 55. That might sound old, but you can if, if you're still perimenopausal, you can still occasionally release eggs. And in theory, 
there is a risk of pregnancy up to that age of 55. And so we tend to say you need to be thinking about that, whether it's barrier techniques or whether it's hormone based therapy, you need to be aware that there is a possibility of that, particularly if you're still having irregular periods, because it's it's almost worse if your periods, if you're having one or two a year, you could be pregnant without knowing it for a number of months, potentially. So it's it's risky. So many women, certainly in the UK, will choose the um, hormone intrauterine hormone devices. So intrauterine systems, we call them. So we call it marina coil, or there are other types of in, uh, progestin intrauterine systems. It's they're generally based on a, a progestogen called levonorgestrel, which is inserted into the neck of the womb, and it basically stops your periods and its contraception. So most Certainly, I would say most female gynecologists in the UK that I speak to, and certainly my preference in younger women, if they want contraception and they need menopause uh, hormone therapy, the marina coil or the, you know, the levonorgestrel intrauterine device is fantastic because it just delivers the progesterone locally. So most women don't get much in the way of side effects. And then if you need a top up estrogen for your vasomotor symptoms, your flashes or your brain fog or whatever, um, you can take estrogen through the skin. You can take estrogen as a tablet if, unless you've got risk factors for blood clots um, in, in younger women. We don't recommend tablet estrogen HRT in older women who are taking HRT for several years. But in younger women in their 40s, unless you've got risk factors for blood clots, then oral estrogen can be given. Um, but transdermal estrogen, so patches, gels and sprays are also very popular because they tend to be a little bit gentler, possibly less side effects. So marina coil is a great option. Um, some women will be on a, a progesterone only pill because we don't tend to recommend combined oral contraceptives with estrogen progestin Um in women, certainly much, I mean, I don't really tend to recommend them over the age of 35, but they can be used up to 40, 45. But as you get older, the tablet combined contraceptive pills with estrogen increase the risk of blood clots and, you know, add risk really. So progesterone only pills are popular. They tend to stop your periods, but they're not thought to have enough progesterone to protect the womb if you're giving additional estrogen so you kind of then have to take if you're on a progesterone only pill you have to take estrogen with progesterone just like anyone else would for hrt so there's kind of different regimens and it, it is worth talking ideally to a somebody who's an expert in family planning or a home an endocrinologist perhaps some gps will be very um well acquainted with how to manage you know contraception during that perimenopause but some won't. It's it's a bit of a lottery. So it depends really who your doctor is. Your doctor might be amazing, but you might have to go and see an endocrinologist or a family planning doctor. Okay, great. So you said something, and I just want to I just want to pull it out a little bit. So you, I think you said that um, that the preference is for uh, in terms of like a hormonal birth control. So you said you know if you're if you're worried about getting pregnant, then you, you ought to think about um, using some kind of a birth control all the way up to the age of 55. That's what, that's yes. what we say. Okay. We say really, ideally, you should be considering some sort of birth and or unless you, unless you have not had any periods for more than a year as well. Yeah. Okay, great. And then, um, and then in terms of that birth control, 
uh, we're looking at something that is a localized uh, birth control like the Marina, where you've got uh, the hormones being released in a small amount directly into the uterus versus a systemic um, uh, birth control. I think you said that after the age of 35, an oral combined birth control pill, you're starting to really look at increased risks of, um, is it thrombotic events or blood clotting? Could you just repeat that one? Because I want to make sure the audience hears that one. So birth control, combined birth control with estrogen and progesterone, they are very synthetic, high dose estrogen, progesterone combinations. So the, the estrogen in combined pills is ethanol estradiol, which is a synthetic estrogen. And it's stronger, much stronger than the natural estrogen we have in hormone replacement therapy or menopause hormone therapy. And we know that the doses that are used as combined pills for contraception increase the risk of blood clots but in younger healthy women who are not overweight who don't smoke who don't have high blood pressure diabetes any other health issues the the absolute risk of blood clots or thrombosis in younger women who need those birth control pills is low but as you get over 35 the risk of carrying excess weight you know if you're smoking if you're stressed if you're sedentary if you're drinking too much again, all those lifestyle problems accumulate, then it's about individual risk. So some women in their late 30s may have quite an increased risk of, of blood clots because of you know diabetes or carrying excess weight. These are conditions that are known to be linked, smoking, for example. But some women will be in their early 40s and the GP may say, well, no, 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 you're very fit and healthy. You've got no other health issues. You can carry on with, with combined birth control for longer. Again, it's a bit like everything in life. It's not a one size fits all. It's so I'm cautious. I always think carefully if any woman is over 35, is, is she safe taking that combined synthetic high dose pill? And if not, then we give the progesterone only pill, which has a much, much lower risk associated with it. Or the marina coil, which essentially is thought to be pretty neutral to any thrombotic risk. Gotcha. And then, and then of course, so if, a, if a woman was trans transitioned off that oral birth control pill and she was say 48 years old and she started to have those um, hot flashes, then you could look at, um, adding some, like a, like a transdermal estrogen in a, in a small amount, see if that, if that would help, or if one of these other products, um, that are, that are on the market that can help with that. And is, and then the other question is when we're looking at transitioning a woman off hormone therapy, how, how do you do that? How do you know, you know, uh, like, I guess you would, you would take taper them off. And then if the symptoms came back, you would say, okay, let's, let's, you know, you're not ready yet to come off it. How, how does that discussion go? So how it goes with me, because I've done it many times, because I've been doing this for 30 years is we go, right. You know, somebody's got terrible menopause symptoms. She's got challenging work, young kids, elderly parents, every total wipeout course. She gets on the HRT, she's feeling better, but you know, life is still stressful. So I then apply my toolkit from my book, you know, all the things I say, read my book, um, you know, make sure as well as the menopause hormone therapy, you're starting to build up your exercise, you're starting to try and focus on your nutrition. So you're not gaining weight through these years and everything and, and managing stress. And 
we we will go through a number of months generally possibly a couple of years and she'll be like I'm feeling really good and I'll say but what's going on with work well work's really stressful I've just had a promotion it's busy kids are going through exams one's going to uni or whatever if your life is really really busy and you've just got really good that's not the time to change right but for example you know oh the conversation might be, well, I've just decided, I saw a lady this week in clinic who said this, I've just decided a career change. I'm going to quit my really stressful job and I'm going to go and do this diploma in education. And actually, um, kids have left home now. It's much calmer. And also I had some bleeding and I've got had some side effects with my HRT and I've gained some weight. I go, right, okay, we're going to start tailing the dose down because you're getting more side effects than benefits and your life is less stressful. So, but we do it really, really slowly. So if you're on a high dose and you've been well and stable, you think, well, I don't even know why I'm, I'm fine now. We, we just gently move the dose downwards. But here's the thing. If you go down and then, suddenly I'm not sleeping or suddenly I'm getting flashes again and feeling stressed. We just go back up to where we were when everything was under control and we leave it for a while. And then at a later stage, sometimes the dose can go down later. And because the average duration of menopause symptoms is seven years, but it can be two to 10 years on sort of the range. But some women don't get any symptoms. We don't talk about them. Some women are fine and don't need any HRT, hormone replacement therapy. And some women, through no fault of their own, will be trying to come off 12, 15 years later and going, I tried and I just felt dreadful as soon as I dropped the dose. So it's very individual. So we do it slowly. And what usually happens, even in those women who feel they can't come off it, is they end up you know, a few years later on a much lower dose than they had at the beginning because they don't need as much, but they may still feel they need it. But it's different for everyone. So that tailing down, you do it when you're well, when you've been stable for a while, when there isn't major life events going on that are going to, the stress will negatively impact on any changes because it's, it's hormone balance. So stress messes that up. So we do it gradually. And most women can gradually tail off treatment and don't need hormone therapy forever for menopause symptoms. But I do have patients who are taking it in their 70s who say every time I try to come off, my awful menopause symptoms come back. So it really, we have to understand that the human body is unique. But like when you're younger, as you said, younger women, some women have no problems with their menstrual cycles. Some women have awful problems. We're all different. So we have to embrace our diversity and understand that each of us is going to be different. I, I could go on. My, my mind is just one question after another, but I've kept you here for so long. I might have to have you come back <laughs> and we'll do another deep dive into this because you have just so much, a wealth of knowledge to share. Um, thank you so much for coming on uh, the show. And uh, so I think to wrap up, you would say, you know, lifestyle is so key. So don't, don't you know, even though it's not a quick fix, um, that's, I think, where the, the real money is or the real wealth is going to be long-term is investing in a lifestyle that gives you that robust health. Um, use medications um, with your doctor um, if you need to address uh, symptoms. And no shame, no judgment. We're all individuals. Some are going to need some assistance. Some aren't. Um, and be careful about some of the um, 
you know, advertising that uh, HRT is going to cure aging and uh, you need it to, you know, uh, not get dementia. Um, I always wonder about that because I'm thinking, gosh, like, what did women, did women just all have dementia before HRT? I don't think so. Um, but it's interesting how uh, women are getting, we're getting so hit with this idea that we we have to take HRT to prevent uh, dementia. So be, you know, be skeptical. Uh, look at some of those governing bodies, right? So we've got um, the North American Society of Menopause. Uh, we've got, what's the British called? Yeah, we've got NAMS, which is the North American Menopause Society. We've got the British Menopause Society. We've got the European Menopause and Andrology Society, which is in Europe. And then there's the Australian Menopause Society. They're the big ones that we, and then there's others, you know, there's others all around the world, but they are the impartial organizations. They're not making money from women. They are impartial. They're not paid to sell products at all. And there's a, they're, they're groups of experts who look at, they understand the research and they analyze it at a very high quality level. And that's important because that doesn't go on on social media. Yeah, I think I think <clears throat> the idea is that these governing uh, bodies are outdated and antiquated, and they're not. Uh, and so you're saying that is absolutely not true. Um, what is significant is they're 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 impartial, and sometimes the people on those boards don't even agree. And that's important to have that kind of you know, uh, discussion, that open discussion, and, and kind of arguing your point and and having to to validate it, right? But of course, the propagandists on social media who are making money out of women who have got their branding and they know these experts are not often on social media because they're doing their academic work. Of course, they're going to say they're out of date. But, you know, you I look because I am on social media and I am an expert and I have got, you know, an MD and, you know, lots of you know research qualifications. I look at what these people use as their evidence and it's it's twisted it's misinformation and and that really worries me because it feels like women's health is currently going backwards because of this through people who are trying to make money because it's a commercial industry and they're selling incorrect information to women and saying experts are out of date and it's incredibly frustrating but yeah yeah they're really pushing that um uh, and also almost like feminism has been turned on its head like like that you need to demand hrt and if you're not getting it then that's because of patriarchy and it's it's like how did we get here that that like you know I don't, I don't believe that being female is a pathology and, um, I love being a woman and, um, and I think the female body is phenomenal. I mean, I mean, wasn't it, hasn't it always been the case that the female body outlasts the male body? <laughs> so it's so bizarre that here we're. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I do think that for, for many years, menopause hormone therapy was, was vilified a, a bit because of data showing that older women come to harm with menopause hormone therapy and and that was that was real it was older women were given menopause hormone therapy and they came to harm but we've gone from extreme to well not only we don't agree with that but younger women should be on it everyone needs to be on it forever so it's gone from no one should ever have it to everyone needs it forever and actually there's a happy medium where some women may need it forever but most do not need it forever but more women should be able to access it and they have been able to access it more but we've suddenly gone to this 
emergency everybody needs to be on hormone therapy as an emergency and what's resulted which i've observed that since the pandemic is confusion because it's not curing every symptom in midlife women for everyone so it's about balance we just need some balance back and well whether we'll get there i don't know but i can only do my we're we're definitely we're definitely going to get there we're definitely going to get there. Um, again, thank you so much for being on the show and uh, uh, good luck with uh, your future endeavors. And, and, and I hope to see you back here in the not too distant future. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And get the book. Get my book. <laughs> the Wonder Women podcast is proudly sponsored and produced by Social Fix. Social Fix is a transformational digital agency specializing in digital marketing, web design, social media, video, and podcast production for fitness, beauty, health, and wellness brands. Visit socialfix.com and request a free consultation for your brand's online image.